Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. And friends in Christ, last week from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we heard Paul list out the gifts of the Spirit, utterances of wisdom and knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, and prophecy. We just sang with enthusiasm, let strife among us be unknown, let all contention cease, be God's the glory that we seek, be ours his holy peace. Well, today in the second half of chapter 12, Paul speaks of the church as the body of Christ to challenge us and to encourage us. Baptized into one body, things ought to be as we sang. Let all contentions seek, cease, but there is discord. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It's the sin of jealousy or envy. Essayist Joseph Epstein writes, Of the seven deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. There's plenty of research to back him up. Psychologists have found that envy decreases life satisfaction and depresses well-being. Envy is positively correlated to depression and neuroses, and the hostility it breeds may actually make us sick. Epstein goes on to say that envy makes us look ungenerous, mean, and small-hearted. Who wants to own up to this unhappy sin? But I must, and I suspect most of us, have been that foot. Some of it's really kind of childish. If I can't pitch, I'm not going to play. Some of it's more serious. Ahab's envy of Naboth's vineyard and the string of events that that precipitated. But then Paul turns the tables on that jealous foot in verse 21. The head says to the foot, I have no need of you. It's the other side of the coin of jealousy is pride. Jealousy or envy wants another to be brought lower. Pride says they have been and are and will continue to be there. Self-satisfaction is pride. Narcissus staring into the pool of water, so enamored with his own reflection that he will stay there till he dies. Aaron Carity points out the self-absorption of our age, writing, of all the amazing features of the medieval cathedrals, the one feature that stands out as you know, just really strange to us moderns, we have no idea who designed them or built them. There's no signatures on the cornerstone. There's no plaque over the archway. There's no trace. We're perplexed by the humility of these forgotten artists. Do and disappear? That's not the way we roll in 21st century America. That humility began to change, really, during the Enlightenment. Rousseau wrote his book, The Confessions, in 780, which he and he dedicated it to me, with the admiration I owe myself. The opening lines are these. I have entered upon a performance which is without example whose accomplishment will have no imitator. I mean to present my fellow mortals with a man with all the integrity of nature, and this man shall be myself. In contrast, the fourth century theologian Augustine's confession, Confessions, yeah, Rousseau ripped off the title, gives all glory to God. As in the opening line from the book of Psalms, great thou art and greatly to be praised. 
As much as we may admire Augustine's humility, Rousseau's language sounds a lot more familiar. In fact, it's might, something you might have read on Facebook this morning. To me, with the admiration I owe myself. I am every bit as much the prideful head as the jealous foot. Can any of you say different? So Paul writes to Corinth and he writes to us. For just as the one body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. He writes, because it is absolutely astounding that the body of Christ, that the church, should disintegrate into dissensions and discord and division. That those who can only say by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is Lord, should be filled with envy and pride that the very gifts that the Spirit gives should become the instruments of discord and discontent. It is a denial of the oneness of the church. And we talk about the unity of the church, though. Don't get distracted by what's happening out there, the fractured Christendom that we see. When we're speaking about the church, we're talking about us. D.A. Carson writes, in the New Testament, characteristically, each local church is not a part of the whole church, but simply the church, the outcropping of the church, or the example of the church in any particular place. We, Redeemer Lutheran, are the church. And heaven laments when the body of Christ, gathered around the body of Christ, becomes divided, at odds with another, jealous or prideful. But I suppose if we're honest, it's inevitable because we remain 100% sinners. As Job laments, what is man that he can be pure? Or he who is born of woman that he can be righteous? What is amazing, however, truly amazing, is that God should choose to work through us. And the only reason it actually happens is that he forgives and supports and uses our weaknesses. A man in Scotland spent the day fishing and stopped at the inn, the local inn, in the evening for a refreshment and, of course, for an audience. He describes the one that got away with the usual gestures. He flung his arms wide to show you just how big that fish was. But as he did, he failed to watch his surroundings, and he caught the waitress who was coming with the tea about to put it on the table. The cup and its contents were dashed against the wall, and immediately an ugly brown stain appeared on the white wall. The fisherman, as I'm sure I would be, was greatly embarrassed and began to apologize profusely. But one of the guests stood up from his table and said, never mind. And he took a pen out of his pocket. He began to sketch around the brown spot. And soon there emerged the picture of a magnificent stag with stately antlers. The artist was Sir Edwin Lancer, the famous English painter and sculptor. The lions of Trafalgar Square, those are his. In a way, that's what God does with us. We, in our faults and sinfulness, with our jealousy and pride, are like that brown spot on a white wall. But God, as the painter, takes us for what we are and makes us into something beautiful. His son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for, as our substitute to pay for our every sin. By faith, his righteousness 
is ours. In faith, we are equipped for every good work. As Paul expressed, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We are the body of Christ, struggling to be the body of Christ, despite the fractured appearances, contentious meetings, hopefully not this morning, despite hurt feelings, jealous thoughts, and prideful attitudes that lurk within us. God has given each of us a role within the body, within the church. As Paul writes, God has appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Let us take up the task that God has given, and by the power of the one spirit, press on. People of the one spirit live daily in the forgiveness of sins. Luther wrote, the jurisdiction, authority, and rights of a prince are not in part because he has many faithless and disobedient subjects in his principality. Even so, in baptism, since we have received it, we are included and received by it into the number of those who shall be saved. And God has made an eternal covenant of grace with each of us. That we thereafter often stumble and fall does not render this blessed baptism futile. But just as grace abides and rules forever, so that although we fall, we may always come back to it, provided we do not deny it or strive against it, so also baptism endures forever. And you cannot depart from it so far and so fully that you neither can nor may cling to it again. Close quote. You are forgiven. The people of one faith live daily in that forgiveness, made pure in the water baptism. The people of one spirit also are united in the humility of Christ. As Paul writes to the church at Philippi, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. If the one whose body we are is characterized by humility, so should we. Clay Anderson writes, I've been blessed by some truly humble people, but the one I remember most was Joan Hollister Gilbert. Joan was a delightful person who had a long, difficult, and courageous battle against cancer. Along the way, her husband, Jack, was diagnosed with cancer as well and preceded her in death. Later, when Joan was dying, with just a few days left in her life, she invited Charlene and me to her bedside. She said she knew she was going to die, and she talked about it. Many people will not talk about it. She wasn't afraid. In fact, she was excited to be entering the presence of God. But that was by far the shortest part of our conversation. Most of the time, we talked about people for whom she was concerned. She talked about us and our children. She talked about her children and the children of others. And I found out later, we were one of a string of that during that last week of people invited to come and spend time at her bedside. If anyone ever had a right to be self-centered, 
And if ever there was a time when she had every justification to be primarily focused upon herself, it was Joan. And it was then. But she lived out humility. She cared more about others than her own needs and her own cares. That's the way it is with Jesus. The humble person cares about people in need. And like John, people of the one spirit are concerned for the common care of the whole body. Paul writes, if, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. When my foot hurts, or I should say this morning, when my finger hurts, we don't say, my finger has a pain. No, say, I have a pain in my finger. And the concern from the common care includes the care of each other's place and reputation. In the large catechism, Luther steps from the less honorable parts of our text, which we clothe, to speaking well of our neighbor. He writes, all of us should veil whatever is dishonorable and weak in our neighbor and do whatever we can to serve, assist, and promote their good name. So concern for the common care includes suffering, includes reputation. It also includes certainly physical needs. Giving matters. Acts chapter 2. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them to the proceeds to all as any had need. Sharing matters. Sharing the peace of God matters. So the people of one spirit live in the forgiveness of sins. They are united in the humility of Christ and they demonstrate that concern for the common care. The people of one spirit are those whom the Holy Spirit has united as one people, the body of Christ, in baptism. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.